Welcome to episode four of Detecting the Marvelous. So far, we've had the joy of discussing the birth of the Marvel Age of Comics with the Fantastic Four, one through four, and the peak 90s pouch-laden Iron Age of comics, <laughs> uh, or, of comics with 1991's X-Men one through three. We're now going to jump forward and take a peek at one of the most popular comic book characters of all time, who has had more reboots in film form than possibly any other franchise in the history of comic book movies, Batman. So we're going to jump to the New 52 with the Court of Owls. All stand. Court is now in session with Judge Harvey Dent presiding on Detecting the Marvelous. Yeah, this is, yeah, this is a this is a really one that's going to be really exciting. Uh, do we want uh, Lainey to talk just sort of talk about like what made you pick this before we go into the history, or should we just go straight to the history? What do you think? Uh, well, why don't we tell us a bit about um, the history of the Bat Family first? Like, the set okay. the stage for for Lainey to to explain her her love of it. Perfect. So, uh, there's a lot of great history with uh, Batman. Uh, because it goes all the way back to like nine, May 1st, 1939, where Batman first appeared in issue 27 of uh, Detective Comics, which is, you know, DC, Detective. That's where detecting comes from our title. Haha. Um, and he was created by Bob Kane and Bill Finger. But Bob Kane got almost all the credit and all the financial credit. Uh, like he was the name associated with Batman throughout Bill Finger's life. So it wasn't even, I think, until posthumously that bill finger now has his name when it's like on a batman comic created by bob kane and bill finger um because he kind of got muscled out by kane but he contributed quite a lot uh to the character um for example he came up with the name bruce wayne which has like such a like history nerd origin because it was from the 14th century king robert the bruce and the 18th century mad anthony wayne who was a oh. general in the american revolution huh um, i did not so, know that that's wild yeah, yeah. yeah I, I i didn't know it either and then i was just like reading up on it i'm like oh that's neat so clearly bill finger wasn't a fan of the british because robert the bruce uh fought was came scott so uh yeah he <laughs> um and he also finger also came up with adding robin in 1940 uh so there was a lot that bill finger had also contributed to there as well but they both had i'd say like equal it was like kind of like bob kane came up with a lot of the batman elements and bill finger came up with a lot of the bruce wayne elements and like had the idea that he should be this like billionaire playboy you know by day um so yeah batman lives in gotham city which was based off of new york city in the same way that metropolis was based off of toronto um and Kane came up with the original concept and yeah, so like the look that he was a Cape Crusader who fought f crime, um, looking like a man, but having this winged cape, which also another history nerd thing was inspired by Leonardo da Vinci's ornithopter design ideas, mm. which is like those, oh. like those old timey, like plane glider thingies where instead of like, look at a Wright brothers plane, but it's got like the flapping wings that you see people like flap it like i feel like it's something that i always see sped up really fast in like old-timey black and white comedies like almost like if buster keaton could fly a plane like have you seen the original image of batman that bill finger did that they did not use 
Oh no, I don't think I did. I it's, didn't think I saw that. Basically, a guy in red tights and black shorts, and uh, with a like a Leonardo da Vinci glider kind of oh. thing. Oh, I see. Cool. And I did know, hear that. Yeah, like originally, you know, like Batman was supposed to be more colorful, and then they decide to tone it down to be like just dark and black. Yeah. Um, yeah. And he was, and so he was also like kind of in influenced by uh some of these more like pulp magazine characters like the black bat the shadow and the main influence they said was zorro um but it's good you may uh mention uh the colorful stuff because one big thing i didn't realize uh was like a big part of batman's history is that for decades and decades and decades there's been this debate on like is batman gay uh and they even had a rainbow batman in 1957 where uh there was an issue where some thugs like had like criminals had really hurt dick grace and they like broke his arm and stuff and so batman puts on a different cost colored costume every night and then eventually wears a rainbow costume with all of them uh on the night where he like finally takes out the last guy and then he goes back to being his dark knight cape um but there was all like i mean that was part of and I don't know if either of you had heard of this, like, Bat- is Batman gay debate? Oh, so, yeah, like- yeah, I mean, it's the core of the comic book panic. Um, there was a, the comic code was born out of the paranoia that comic books like Batman, say, I hate to use this word because it is so of the moment and toxic, but grooming Robin. Ah, uh, Robin, right. So it's, 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 it's interesting because, yeah, like, as long as people have been reading comics, they've been projecting their own interpretations onto these characters. Of course, yeah. And I think this, because I think part of it, because like Bob Kane and Bill Finger like would say like he's not gay. And then there's some writers who'd say like, eh, maybe he is, maybe he isn't, who cares? Um, I know Joel Schumacher, uh, who is openly gay, like he had said that like, you know, he kind of liked to play on that ambiguity, which I guess is why Clooney got the bat nipples. I don't know if that <laughs> yeah. was uh, why, but like, so there's different things, but I think some of it is just like innocent. Like Robin would wake up in like Batman's bed kind of thing. And they'd be like, all right, let's get the day going. But I think like back then it was kind of more uh, like, it was almost like innocent. Like it would be like your son mm. sleeping in your bed with you or whatever. Yeah, like the, it's 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 a it's a problem. Like it's like the boner meme, right? Yeah, you know, like yeah. it's it's just it, times were different. If you go to other comic books or fi- fictional recountings, you'll see similar things. Okay. It's just because he's so high profile and it's such a weird relationship that Batman has with Robin. Yeah. Um, in a lot of ways. People are like, oh, that can't be good. There's something going on here. And you right. see it in like, like Venture Brothers, they play with that. Um, the ambiguously gay duo on SNL. Right. right. Which play was with that. off of that old, I think, uh, like the Batman Robin, like sort of. Yeah. yeah. And I think like even like Adam West kind of like, and part of it also, I think, is just like Batman came of like a very, was kind of very campy in general. Mm-hmm. Just sort of like the idea of like this guy wearing tights 
Robin basically only has like a cod piece on the bottom half of his body. Like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that like when they designed Robin's outfit, I'm like, that was a choice. Yeah, like, kid yeah. Flash looks like the Flash. Like, uh, Wonder Woman's sister looks like Wonder Woman, but Robin is robin and there's no getting around that he's like the very oppositely designed as batman yeah um and it's funny because actually in um nightwing um which we'll discuss in ashley cooper's episode but uh nightwing like in the like when he gets his new uh uniform in like this one mini series he uh yeah there's a thing where like barbara gordon as oracle says like Oh, you're just tired of like the little tight shorts or something like that. <laughs> like, he, wanted, he wanted something that was, I guess, more like full bodied. His legs were getting cold. Like he's on rooftops and like. <laughs> yeah. So it was, it was just like an interesting part of it. Like that was a uh, part. So like I didn't know that, but it's kind of like one of those things where it's like inconsequential to Batman. But if you want to, like, you know, you can read it that way and you can enjoy it that way. And you can enjoy it other ways. So it's kind of uh, just I was, that was an interesting part of it. Um, also, like what was interesting is uh, Batman. There's like a wave of superheroes in like comics that came out at the end of 30, the 1930s that were Jewish created. Not to like, I promise I'm not always going <laughs> to bring things back to being Jewish. But like, it was inter- like, so like Batman in 1939, the year before was Superman in 1938. And this is during like the Great Depression when things feel pretty bleak and there's the rise of fascism in Europe. So I always wonder, like, you know, if that kind of uh, comes out of that. And Detective Comics itself was owned by Harry Donenfeld and Jack Leibowitz, who are both like two Jewish street toughs from the Lower East Side, like the same kind of grungy area that Jack Kirby uh, grew up in. And Donenfeld actually made his money bootlegging during the Prohibition. And then from there, he and Leibowitz became entrepreneurs and eventually running, you know, DC, Detective Comics. So it's almost like uh, Detective Comics, you know, one of the two biggest, uh, you know, comic book publishers in the world came out of uh, Prohibition bootlegging money. Mm. And I have to wonder, with you sharing that, because Hollywood shares a very similar history like the 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 fallacy of you know jews control hollywood comes from the fact that it was an industry that was kind of looked down upon by like a waspy people yeah and like at least the production component of it and they put and basically these were people who were from rough neighborhoods taking jobs that nobody wanted and then being really good at them and following that job because it was pushed out of New York because that used to be the heart of movie film production. It was pushed to the West Coast and they moved with it. And that's the birth of Hollywood. Right. But it sounds yeah. very similar. It sounds like a situation where the Jewish community took jobs where they saw an opportunity to create and do mm-hmm. something that nobody else was willing to do for whatever weird reasons uh, that us wasps have for being uptight <laughs> with sticks up our butts. Um, but yeah. If you're not going to be a doctor or a lawyer, like your mom wants you to be. And also <laughs> at the time, those stereotypes didn't exist because it was very hard for, you know, people from like minorities and marginalized communities to get those 
kinds of jobs. So yeah. it was like, all right, I'll go into the arts, I guess, and like work really hard at it. And then, yeah, they, you know, different people from, yeah, these, uh, you know, like more marginalized communities would then come out and then you get them, like you get like Hollywood actors or yeah, like artists who, yeah, came from the Lower East Side or other rough neighborhoods. Yeah. Um, so then actually, yeah. So, and what, so one thing actually when detective comics started, it was also like struggling to find its footing before Batman showed up or the Batman as they first called him. Uh, it's also like, it's actually, I mean, speaking of marginalized communities, but like there were some pretty racist caricatures in the first couple years of detective comics where like the heroes were usually fighting like very badly drawn, like not like, you know, bad in quality, but bad in like intention like caricatures of chinese men so it was often like you know like it would be like oh we're gonna break up an opium den or like something like that uh and even you know the creators of superman they were in they were two of the regulars involved in that and like the stories were clunky they didn't really have like a proper narrative drive they were kind of aimless and then so like batman was where it kind of gave it its focus where you had like a strong really thought out well-developed superhero character um who then like actually like has a you know a great rogues gallery i'd i'd say one of my, for me one of the two best rogues galleries it's batman and spider-man yeah. have the best mm-hmm. villains i find yeah 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 um and i'll just go through before we just get to court of owls just because i think <clears throat> who's the villain really um is important joker when batman became bat uh had its own title, Batman number one. That was the uh, appearance of Joker, who is actually inspired by this 1928 film, The Man Who Laughs. Uh, Creepy movie. Creepy movie. Right. Yeah. Which, yeah, I haven't, and I actually haven't seen it. You, so you've seen it, eh? Yeah, yeah, like film nerd stuff. And it's just like the, the that smile, the actor who plays it, that was his actual face and he just was able to distort it in such a way it looks like the joker smile and it's like oh that's unpleasant to to look at and, yeah. and but it was perfect it, and it's like that you know german expressionist kind of cinema which is like speaks to the interesting influences of batman you've got like art history and and German expressionist cinema and swashbuckling films all coming together and in this one package. Yeah, that's true. It's like a very, yeah, like it's all the, and that might be why Batman was such a strong character right out the gate because, you know, he had a really more, it wasn't just like, I want to write a cowboy or a detective, you know, you know, like the way detectives do, but like (laughs) he actually had this like wide swath of influence. And, uh, yeah, uh, from my research, it was that, like, that specific smile from that creepy-looking actor was, like, sort of what Bill Finger and Bob Kane were like, yeah, for the Joker. Uh, and he was intended to be Batman's main nemesis. And, like, 83 years later, he's still, like, an amazing, like, one of the best villains, I'd say, of all time in any, like, art created, uh, which is cool. And they actually, and a lot of their like big villains were there pretty early. Catwoman, nineteen forty, oh. Clayface, kind of in nineteen forty, where he was this like Basil Carlo guy uh, who, but more just like wore a costume. Who was like a like a movie actor stu- stuntman who then 
put on this like hideous costume. But then in the 50s, you know, the writers and Bob Kane and Bill Finger were uh, inspired by like these like sci-fi monsters. And so then that's where like the shape-shifting Clayface came in. Uh, And then Penguin and Scarecrow were 1941, Two-Face 1942, The Riddler and Mad Hatter 1948. Uh, and then Mr. Freeze, 1959, uh, who was kind of campy at first, but I think over time he's been, he's become like a really cool villain, especially yeah. from the animated show. The animated series added a lot of that backstory to the character. Yeah. And it's like, it just made him such a compelling character. Like he's so tragic. It's yeah. like you feel for him. Uh, except for the Arnold Schwarzenegger version, but yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> somewhere out there, there's a great live-action Mr. Freeze who's not just saying like, oh, "I used to see you." Or... Rumor is he's going to be the bad guy for the ne- the next the Batman movie. Oh no way! Oh, so cool. I'm like, how would you ground Mr. Freeze? So yeah. we'll have to watch we'll have to watch the Penguin TV show to see how they lead into that. So <laughs> right, yeah, yeah. which will be interesting. But yeah, so he's got like a great rogue, like he's got like all these great villains there, like Poison Ivy, Ra's al Ghul, and so on. Um, and like I, you know, I've read so much Batman and I've, you know, seen all these characters come up. And then there's like the crime bosses and stuff. But so that's why for me to lead it to throw it to Laney, like Court of Owls, I was like, I don't think you could do like another new interesting villain. Uh, but Court of Owls proved me wrong. You can and in like the best way possible, because in a way it's like two different villains in this comic run, which we will get to. But like, it's just such an amazing book. So the reason I picked this one is um, this was one of the first comic runs I read from start to finish. But it was the comic run for me to be like, oh, this is what comics can be like, like Mm. artwork in itself, the new villain, um, just like. I mean, I've always had sort of a sweet spot for Batman, something about someone so dark and broody talking about how the world sucks, but he's going to protect it anyways. Like, I get that. Um, But this book, like, I'll get into kind of the recap, I guess, and we'll go from there. Um, So we start off with Bruce Wayne and the Bat family, like everybody's there. We have Dick Grayson, Tim Drake, Damian Wayne, and of course, like Alfred and Commissioner Gordon. Um, they're hosting this big event, um, where Bruce announces his plan to renovate all of Gotham with Mm -hmm. like something he doesn't mention to the stakeholders about adding bat tunnels throughout the sunny, uh, throughout the city to, you know, help his team. Um, (laughs) there he meets Lincoln March, um, the mayoral candidate and, uh, COO of March Venture. Uh, They seem to hit it off, and just as they're about to discuss lunch plans, Bruce overhears Gordon talking about dead bodies somewhere and then does his disappearing act. Uh, He finds a a man who was throwing knife to death. Um, (laughs) All of the knives contain this owl symbol, and from that start, everyone tells him it's the Court of Owls, which he just refuses to believe it is. Um, he sniffs an invisible message left behind in linseed oil. So he lights the oil on fire and the words read, Bruce Wayne will die tomorrow. Such a great cliffhanger to end on. Um, 
the next issue, we learn about uh, the origins of the original Wayne Tower, how it was built by Alan Wayne, uh, Bruce Wayne's great-great-grandfather. Um, we talk about, they talk about all the gargoyles that are built there, how the uh, glass in the watchtower portion is supposed to be nearly unbreakable and how it's supposed to be open to people, to the public, every single weekend um, throughout the year. Um, he then casually drops into the Batcave to perform a remote body scan autopsy of the guy who was knifed to death. We learn that the guy was likely a highly trained fighter that has an owl imprint in his molar. Oh, and he also has Dick Grayson's DNA under his fingernails, but that's no big deal. <laughs> <laughs> like a little red herring almost, kind of. Yeah. Right? <laughs> Turns out a week ago, the same guy warned Dick that something scary was coming for him and his posse, uh, but Dick didn't really think anything of it at the time. Then later, Bruce meets Lincoln at the tower to discuss uh, Lincoln's mayoral plans and possibly funding for Bruce's uh, renovation deal. That's when the unbreakable glass sudden, or no, sorry, the uh, an assassin comes out um, from out of nowhere gives Bruce his death sentence and then pushes Bruce through the unbreakable glass to his death. Amazingly, the architecture of Alan, uh, of his great, great grandfather's um, planning saved his life by having one 13th gargoyle that nobody could know about that <laughs> allowed him to, to grasp onto it in the, in the near seconds. Um, so then we get to, uh, a starting point where we talk about Alan Wayne a little bit about how he was a little bit mad by the on the last day of his life. He was running around Gotham screaming about Ness and how they're coming for him, but no one ex understands who they are. Some police officers debate what to do about the bumbling guy who built half of Gotham City when he supposedly falls into a manhole and drowns. Meanwhile, Batman's beating up bad guys, searching for answers about the owly figure who tried to kill him. Alfred tried to convince him to rest and take care of his wounds as Alfred does, and Bruce pulls a Bruce Wayne and completely ignores him. <laughs> <laughs> Bruce then goes to visit Lincoln to find out what the heck he was talking about. When oh, sorry, I forgot to mention this. During their meeting... Uh, Lincoln mentions that there's something sinister happening happening in the city. And before he can actually say what it is, that's when the assassin comes in and right. takes down Bruce. Right. So Bruce visits Lincoln in the hospital because he was uh, hurt in the in the attack. And I just sorry, I'm going through my notes because it's like eight. This was a seven, seven that, book yeah. run. Yeah. 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 Um, so Lincoln tells him about that the Court of Owls is real and that they threatened him to drop out, but he wasn't going to. Um, at some point, Lincoln also tells Bruce that he also lost his parents, um, which is why they are very, which is why he really kind of feels like him and Bruce will get along. Um, after that, Bruce gives him his vote, hearing all of that because he loves a fellow masochist, saying when. Um, when Lincoln says that the Court of Owls is real and they've been threatening him to drop out of the race and he won't drop out, Bruce is like, okay, in that case, you have my vote. <laughs> 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 so, 
So after hearing that his great-great-grandfather was obsessed with owls and was telling people that they were in his home to kill him, um, Bruce returns to Wayne Tower to investigate the 13th floor of, uh, of the building, only to find out that the, he finds a human owl's nest inside the 13th floor. He then goes to explore other buildings that his great-great-grandfather's foundation funded to find the same owl's nest all hidden on the 13th floor. That's when he's about to tell Alfred Oliver Intercop what happens when he trips a wire and he gets bat flambéed. Um. <laughs> <laughs> I like that. Uh, anytime Batman is in an explosion, he's bat flambé. Right? It's the best kind of flambé. <laughs> yeah. Bat Alaska. Like a Alaska or you know, yes. baked Alaska, yeah. yeah. Love it. So Batman escapes the uh, explosion. Um, he gets back to the to the Batcave. Dick Grayson stops by to tell him to slow down and take a break, but instead he decides to examine um, his great great grandfather's dusty old bones because obviously that's the sanest thing to do next. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, Dick debates about with him about whether or not the court is real and if they should be worried. Bruce uh, officially reveals that the court can't be real because he investigated them when he was a little kid. Basically, he blamed his <laughs> his parents. Pure Bruce, right? Like if nine, ten year old Bruce couldn't find them, obviously they could not exist. Yeah. But... <laughs> it's my first case. <laughs> So he ends up telling this sob story about how he blamed uh, the court for his parents' death and swore that there were signs that kind of proved that they were behind it. Um, he investigated all the way to find like a potential headquarters, but when he went to go look for it um, to check it out, he found nothing but accidentally locked himself into the room and it had no windows, which meant that he nearly starved himself to death. Alfred found him like a week later but he was already comatose and spent weeks recovering. And he tells Dick something along the lines that this taught him not to feel feelings while navigating an investigation. Although that's pretty much all he has been doing for like the last four <laughs> episodes up until the, four, the last four issues. Yeah. Um, so anyways, the bone scan comes back, which leads Batman to the sewers and commissioner Gordon for some reason, they end it with him left alone with the bat signal on. and um, <laughs> For a whole so, week. <laughs> yeah, a whole week. No wonder the bulb exploded. Yeah. Right? So the scan indicated that while Alan was found in the sewers, he was actually stabbed 50 times by, guess what? Throwing knives. Mm -hmm. <laughs> 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 um, so... Batman goes down to the sewers. That's when Owl Guy appears from the shadows and kidnaps him, dropping him to some sort of labyrinth. And this is my favorite part of this run. It is so good for so many reasons. So we get back to Jim Gordon, who leaves the light on. We know it's been eight days. No one has seen him. Um, no one's seen Batman. And so we get into the labyrinth so we start on a slightly sleep deprived and thirsty batman navigating this this maze trying to find a way out thinking he's going to best him his inner dialogue is short repetitive evolves to convey this growing paranoia and exhaustion with every room he finds 
he sees photos on the wall of the many victims of the labyrinth captured in different stages of their own deterioration. He finds coffins of past uh, Talons, which is the owl assassin who was trying to kill him this whole time. Um, trained to hunt and protect the society, the owl court, the court of owls at all costs. He runs into his parents who hug them as they turn into a ravaged owl attacking him. And the best part of all of this is that the artists use every tool in their tool book to disorient the readers Mm -hmm. as they're following Batman's journey. Like the first time I read this, they, they change the orientation of the actual book that you keep constantly have to flip it over and spin it around in different ways to understand what is going on. There's been ta- like the first time I kept having to like figure out if I had already read that page yet and flip back like it is such a cool experience. And then so we get back to Batman in there and just when he thinks he finds an escape, it leads him to another photo room. Um, where a vintage camera takes another picture and he is completely grotesque at this at this moment. As he screams out in frustration, I'm not listening, that's when the talent comes back and stabs him right in the gut. Mm-hmm. Um, you would think they would end it there, but they cut back to Jim at the bat signal. And of yeah. course, they have that heart-wrenching moment. The bat light blows out. And when the other officers ask Jim what to do, there sits Robin, Damian Wayne, stepping in and begging them to replace it, desperate to cling mm-hmm. on to like that beam of hope that his father is still alive somewhere. Like it's just <laughs> like <laughs> like it doesn't get better than that. It's like there's um, the physical stab in the gut and then the emotional stab in the yes. gut. Right? Yes. <laughs> like it's just like the idea of the labyrinth. We can get into this afterwards too, but like the fact that the biggest villain in this series isn't necessarily the court. It's it's Bruce Wayne and Batman's own mentality and like mental health that drives him to this space of like, and it keep, continues throughout the next few issues too. Like, so Batman gets stabbed through the abdomen. The Talon lets him know he's about to die. Um, he then, the Talon then lifts Batman up to ask the court, who apparently have been watching him this whole time from right above, um, how he would like to, how that he should kill Batman. And they let a sweet little child who decides that... Sweet, <laughs> quote unquote. <laughs> she's like caressing her dolly, telling yeah. the talent that he, uh, Batman should be pulverized to death. It's, it's like, yeah. It's like the little kid who like tells Ebenezer Scrooge it's Christmas Day, but like it's like kill him, rip him apart. (laughs) (laughs) More pain. (laughs) (laughs) So then after a terminal blow, the owl gathers round. Batman spots a picture of his great grandfather, which empowers him to not only fight them off, fight off the entire court, but also obliterate the talent. So after spending more than a week in this maze, being absolutely like below par himself, like exhausted, thirsty, haven't eaten, may have drank some sort of water, but it was more than likely drugged. He Mm -hmm. somehow gathers the strength to defeat all of these people all at once. He blows up the owl in the middle of the labyrinth to escape. And then as he's swimming to the surface, he finds out that it's covered with glass. 
And then the owls decide at the end to dispose of the current Talon and wake up all of the coffins of the, <laughs> of the ones that Batman found before. So then Batman gets rescued and zapped alive by Harper Rowe, who later becomes part of the Bat family as Bluebird. With mm. barely as much as a thank you, Batman dips and yeah. makes his way to the Bat <laughs> He's just like... So rude. <laughs> yeah, right? <laughs> Alfred supports a struggling Batman when he finds the corpse of the Talon waiting for him inside the Batcave, which, like, then is just another, like, psychotrauma in itself. Like, I can't even imagine what that would have felt like. Um, he runs some tests and, of course, in walks Dick to see if he's okay. Batman tells Dick how this guy has some chemical compound in him that makes it so he can come back to life. Oh, and that is Dick's grandfather. But no big deal. <laughs> NBD. <laughs> oh, and also that Dick was being groomed to eventually take this person's place, but his family circus right. death prevented that. Also, no big deal. Yeah. <laughs> Don't but get too emotionally broke, Dick. So Batman goes into his doom and gloom talking about how the city is evil and all birds are evil. Dick pipes up with this like not all birds comment referring <laughs> to think. himself in the Robins um, saying that he were they were on his side no matter what, which is a good thing because the Talons unleash a crap ton uh, or sorry, the Court of Owls unleashed a crap ton of Talons onto the city. And that's how we end this comic run. Dun, dun, dun. Dun. <laughs> I I have to say this is like it's such a powerful reboot of the character. It's just like it. it I mean, we don't need to cover the same ground with and no. having Batman being at this older state as compared to the other characters makes sense because like he's established. He's always has that. It's like I I'm the I'm the oldest man. I'm the the wisest guy in the room kind of thing with this at least establishes that as more than him just being a jerk. Um, but yeah, it's so fun. Like, it's just like, I, 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 I look at it and there's like these nice Easter eggs, like Harvey Bullock from the animated series, Vicky Vale from the, from mm -hmm. the comic, but also the movie, the Batman movie. Um, in the, the the opening scene where you have Dick in a holographic mask, yes. it's the Joker just like having a blast being the Joker. Uh, and, yeah. and it's like, and that really shows the counterpoint. Like the Dick at this point as Nightwing has become this fully in, engaged, fully fleshed out character where he's enjoying, he's embraced the happiness of doing good. Whereas and, and over the course of the run, it really leans into this, how like Bruce is like just a Vic is a, is basically a prisoner of his own trauma in a lot yeah. of ways. And it's, it's, but it's cool. It's just a really great run. Yeah. And one thing I like, cause you were saying your, uh, Lainey, your favorite part was in the maze, the labyrinth. Yeah. The labyrinth. yeah. And one thing I really loved about that is like, cause batman and like bruce wayne even when he's in trouble he always has like he's in control in a way like he's like all right i need to do this i need to do this mm -hmm. but you see him going nuts like he's just yeah. like like yeah. you said like he's lost his mind he starts looking grotesque and like he's 
just as muddled as we are trying to follow what's going on. Uh, so it's cool to see like that's how like it really introduces them as such a sinister new villain. Yeah. How did and in that same scene, like, what did you think? Because like, there's the orientation component that they did, where like, like I thought, oh, my computer, my my tablet was messed up. Yeah. Until I, oh no, they're playing with perspective and orientation to the mindset. But also, as he's like losing it, they change the art style for his illustration, which is sort of like reflective of because they they have. Mo- like so the court of owls like they flip from the the grotesque owl people to their actual form which is like the porcelain mask but all- when bruce is sort of like rage modes out they flip to this sort of cartoony bestial yes representation which yeah. i thought was like it took me my second read to really get what they were doing mm-hmm. um just because i come from an era of comics where that style was like just something people did but i'm like oh no they're shifting the style of the illustration here to match his inner spirit his inner place yeah yeah no it's brilliant like i love that you see like when you see them like you're seeing the owls as like a big fear for Bruce and Batman, which you don't get to see like a lot of his fears and the way that they illustrate it. It is so creepy that like you, you feel uncomfortable like a lot of the time while reading um, a lot of like the labyrinth parts. Like it's just, it's, it's so well done. I like, yeah. Yeah. One of the things I thought was really neat too, is like the ornithological elements that they weave through like owls do hunt, bats mm-hmm. and and a, a lot of breeds of owls are parasitic in that they steal the nests of other birds mm. so it's like is like thought out it's like when when dan when you're talking about what made batman and the joker so interesting was this weaving in of depth through multiple inspirations it's the same thing i mean that's what yeah. and, and it's kind of the neat thing i find about the court and bruce and the Talon and Robin is their counterpoints to one another. Like the Wayne family is the inverse of the court in that they're altruistic and trying to help. Whereas the court is, is manipulative and trying to control, you know, and then like the Talons are their tools that they've bred and, and, and shaped into these weapons. Whereas Robin and eventually Nightwing is this partner that he's like shaped and trained to be the counterpoint to him to help him do his job. And it's just, yeah, it's like we've had lots of villains who are like. Like the Joker, it's like the other half of the coin for Batman, but the owls, the court of owls are like the other side of the coin for Bruce. It's like a Mm -hmm. Bruce-driven villain, which you don't see very often. It was kind of an interesting way to frame it, I found. Mm -hmm. Yeah, like, I like also that, like, throughout the labyrinth, he makes a point being, like, they don't see me as a threat because, like, they didn't even bother to take off my mask. Like, so the fact that, like, they have that much power and he knows he should be afraid and it is, like, apparent 
Um, as soon as he uh, like as soon as he realizes that the court is real because he spends like the first half of this run just being like just dismissing the whole fact like yeah it, it says a lot about sort of the psyche of Bruce Wayne and Batman in the same way yeah yeah because it's like the first half he's like like I know there's murders I know there's bad stuff going on but I'm in control like even you know like he first gets attacked by the town he's like there's the one breaking point I can kick on like you know this glass or whatever to go out and take out the talon and then even when he's finding it like you know when he's looking out he knows he smells the linwood oil so he knows to light that on he's like dismissing it because he's like oh you know i know this is how my father so he's like but each time like it's like there's more twists to be like he's like oh i know there's the 13th floor thing but oh shit mm-hmm. like this was going on under my nose the whole time i've been batman and so yeah. each time it's like there's always like it's sort of like it's his control that he always has is slowly unraveled until like he's not even a threat and they're just like up he's like they're playing with their food basically mm-hmm. it's cool yeah and another one of the things i found that was fun or enjoyable too is especially that dynamic between between dick and bruce or batman and nightwing um like when they're the hollow projectors, like those hollow cameras, because he's like, oh, Dick's like, what, you're not going in anymore? Well, that's right. kind of cool. But aren't you going to miss that, like, one area in the air vents? Or, oh, you're getting, which is basically like teasing him, like, oh, you're getting old. So <laughs> it's, just, it's just like cool dynamic be, be between them, where, where we get a little bit more of a gentle side to the yeah. characters. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like, I, I love, go, like, yeah. Oh, no, go ahead. No, go ahead, Dan. Oh, I was just going to say, I like, because you were talking about how, like, Dick's saying, like, he, Batman's like, oh, you know, like, I've learned to not get my emotional, like, you know, state involved, but he is being very emotional where he's like, it's like, I'm not emotional, you're emotional. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, like, I, I like that, like, Dick is there. He's the only one in the Bat family who tries to challenge Bruce to open up. Like, the fact that Bruce is sitting there doing his investigation stuff and, like, Dick just pries in to get some sort of information, not just about like how Bruce is feeling, but just what he's working on. Like the fact that Bruce didn't, wasn't like, Oh, I did this investigation and there was DNA on under this person's fingers. Like Dick had to dig for that. Like it's just, it's an interesting dynamic to think of. And I like that they kind of play like this kind of big brother, little brother aspect to it. So, so well here. And I mean, over the course of the series too, it it feels really humanizing in a lot of ways. Like they're deconstructing Batman without doing it in this negative way that often you get with a deconstruction, but also they're building up other characters like that, that humanizing moment for Damien, who's like the grandson of Rasha Ghoul, the daughter, the son of Talia Al Ghoul and and Bruce Wayne or Batman, really not even really Bruce Wayne. Mm -hmm. Um, Like even though they're the same person, they're not, you know, yeah. like yeah. Bruce is the mask kind of thing. Yeah. <laughs> but I mean, that moment where it's like, he's like the, the it's like not the turn, get a new one. It's the, the please yes. that please is just like, oh, that's a kid mm-hmm. who, who, who's realized he loves his dad. And, and like, and the counterpoint being in that same issue is what you had the hallucination of his parents and like, this semi-resolution that he has with them and it's just yeah. like it's yeah it's, it's it feels like it's this really great way to like 
reintroduce a character at the start of a new universe that lets you know what kind of person this character is. Like, it's not a different Batman than we know, but it's not the same Batman that we know. Yeah, I think I find it really amazing um, how because like as like after all these years, because this is like uh, when did this this came out? What like two thousand uh, in the two thousand tens, I think, or something like that. Maybe I'm wrong. Yeah, fifteen yeah. or something. But it's like after decades, over half a pardon. Twenty eleven. Twenty eleven. So yeah, so after like more than half a century of having this character. And they're still finding new ways to show, like, writers still finding new ways to show other sides of Batman and, like, how, you know, like, twist them in new ways. It's, like, it's very impressive to do something like this. So I'm always uh, impressed. And I guess, like, Batman's one of those guys, like, those characters, those heroes where the writers always find new ways to bring something out of him. So I think that's Mm -hmm. really speaks to Batman and speaks to, like, the writers who uh, work on it. Now, now, Lini, you probably read this. I don't know if you you will have, Dan. I can't remember if it's in the annual or the, a subsequent issue after the the seven where we find out, OK, the court didn't kill his parents, but they killed Alfred's dad. Like the talents murdered his dad, which messes with the timeline for me, though, like because Alfred was supposed to like. So I'm like, did Alfred work as a kid at the Wayne mansion? And Mm -hmm. like, because like he worked for the Wayne family before he like took over, but, or I guess he replaced Alfred, replaced his dad after his dad was murdered by the Talons. And that's how he got, I don't know. It's just, it's this weird timeline thing. But at the same time, it's like, yeah, Bruce was wrong. Right. They didn't kill his parents, but they were monitoring them. And his mom was terrified of them and they murdered Alfred's dad. It's like, you're not that good a detective after all. (laughs) Yeah. 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 A 10 year old Bruce who's like, this is my first case. I'm going to like, you know. (laughs) I'm Bruce Wayne, boy detective. Just imagining the spyglass that he had with him the whole time. (laughs) I was, when they announced that, goth whatever it was like is, like is it called gotham or yeah, it's like young like, bruce wayne i was like so hoping it'd be something like that but it was like total cw stuff like just like oh geez they're all sexy teens i don't want sexy teens <laughs> i want sexy nerdy 12 year olds brooding yeah. teens i can deal with but sexy teens bah. and the, the the penguin was too tall yes. the just you don't get a tall skinny penguin there's short <laughs> stout guys like me leave me my cosplay opportunities it's stout erasure it's uh yes. <laughs> a short kings need cosplay too <laughs> sure yeah um and it, yeah it's funny it's funny because like i always thought like wouldn't it be great to i used to watch this like saturday morning cartoon james bond jr Mm. And then also like a show, there used to be a show called uh, Sher- The Adventures of Shirley Holmes, who was like the great grandniece of Sherlock Holmes. But like she's in Canada now and she's solving like little crimes, <laughs> yeah. like little cri- <laughs> like, it's like little crimes like around her school or whatever. I like I'd love to see that Bruce Wayne show. Like, yeah, like, like yeah. that Bruce Wayne boy detective show. Yeah. yeah. 
as long as they don't go the Murdoch mystery spinoff. Oh, I loved it. I love Macy Murdoch. Is time travel? I mean, and yes, it is. It is giving one of the my favorite Toronto comedians a job as the villain of the show. Oh, oh, he's. I'm trying to remember. Um, let me just look it up. Uh, who's the the actor? His thing. Gordon Hecht. Gordon Hecht. Gordon Hecht. Gordon Hecht is going to play the villain. Gordon Hecht is the villain. He got his start. The character started in a Murdoch mystery, and Macy travels through time fighting Gordon Hecht. Uh, Oh wow! So it's like Murdoch mystery meets. Doctor Who. It is that is what I love about it. With a side of sliders. And I'm not saying it's bad. (laughs) It's just I don't want Bruce Wayne traveling through time. We had too much of that already. Because then he hooks up with Wonder Woman and then it makes things weird with New 52 Superman. Like like, as long as he's not time traveling. But every other vibe there. Boy detective. Boy detective, (laughs) yeah. 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 He still has to be pretty somehow though. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> he's uh, also also. I, like, I was gonna say, but also like Bruce Wayne is very like logical. So even when, because like they basically like one thing I thought like to like sort of bring it back to the Court of Owls, like mm-hmm. even with this weird like resurrection thing that they have, where they can just resurrect from like they're just like storing these like people in co- these dead people in coffins who they can resurrect. But he's like, actually, dead Graysons. Let's be specific. Dead Graysons in Coffins. Right. <laughs> right. Dead Graysons, which would be a great punk rock uh, band name. <laughs> yes. Uh, oh, sorry. Sorry. I'll wait on this. No, yeah, no worries. But I was just going to say, yeah, like how, like, even then, like, it's like, like, it feels like it's like, this is clearly mystical, even if, like, you know, they're using elements of our world. But, like, it's still like, he's like, no, there's a spe- special resin that can. S- slow the heart or whatever so he's still like scientifically and like using like a yeah. rational world explanation yeah and they don't even trek talk it because like every once in a while you get something like lazarus pits or something like that which is like yeah. okay we need this cool story beat but there's like no real way to do it it's like they come up with like a pseudoscience trek talky kind of way right, of doing right. it with like this which is which is fu- which is very batman like and that's what right, I like. It's yeah. it's that little bit more grounded than the rest of. The, not always, but every once in a while they bring it back down, especially during this era of Batman. Yeah, um, yeah. The, one thing though that I found really funny that I don't think was intended to be funny, um, when Bruce and and Dick have this really great confrontation in front of the body of his great grandfather, uh, Dick's great grandfather. And there's a lot of like emotional beats in there that are, are really cool. And then Batman clocks him. But yeah. the, good, the good thing is he clocked him for a reason. It wasn't like an emotional yeah. lash out. But whose punches? And I'm sorry, Bruce Wayne, like ninja. Sure. Like Batman is a trained court, like a, like assassin trained ninja guy. Fine. But you're not going to break one specific tooth right. sent it flying out of the head with a punch. You have to like, yeah, like, uh, like was that? that was like a poof, but like if he did like a like a ninja finger poke, I'd at least like, okay, he's got maybe, enough precision there. But maybe yeah. it was loose already because they had to take it out to put the imprint on the tooth to begin yeah. with. That's true. That's true. Yeah. yeah. 
I was saying, it's like, ah, oh, see, he like show his dick like the one tooth, and then yeah. Dick's like, cool. Can you pick up the other seven you knocked out? Too? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, and at the same time, too, it's like it took this long for Bruce Wayne to notice like this mysterious court of owls molar that his protege, who he's been raising since a child, has. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like, yeah. That's true. Yeah. But yeah, again, was, this, yeah. is, this I, is nitpicky I, I stuff. Was, this is this is totally because it's like honestly one of the best Batman runs, mm. hands down, yeah. of all time. Yeah, like thank you for bringing this to yeah my attention. I I never heard of this uh, run before, and I was like, I've read all the Batman important Batman runs. <laughs> No, I'm so glad that you enjoyed it. Like, and yeah, getting to talk about it with the, like, it just means the world. Cause yeah, this is, this was definitely a game changer for me. So getting cool. to talk about it here is just next level. Cool. Yeah. All right. So my spider senses are tingling that it's time to wrap things up. Uh, but <laughs> thanks to Lainey for suggesting this awesome comic and Dan for doing the history on it and you, the audience, for joining us. We'll see you next time on Detecting the Marvelous. Thanks, man. You've been listening to Detecting the Marvelous, a Far From Here Productions and ShowbizMonkeys.com co-production. Your producers have been Dan Rosen, Lainey LaRose and Matt Ardell. Music composed by Glenn Bouchon. And art by Ben Steamroller. Thanks for listening, and remember, true believers, Excelsior! Excelsior!